Howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here. The latest book for my wife, Grace and I, Win Your War, is available for pre-sale. It releases at the end of September. We're gonna look at how God creates Satan counterfeits and how there is a spiritual attack for your relationship with God, yourself, others, and the church. Super biblical, super practical. Pre-order today, Win Your War. Let's start with this one assumption that we can all agree upon. Something has gone terribly wrong. Something has gone terribly wrong. People are anxious, people are depressed, people are angry, people are at war with one another. The culture in which we live is a battlefield. And it doesn't matter how many wars we wage, how many elections we hold, how many medications we prescribe, how many bodies we bury, how many votes we cast, how many government programs we fund, how many savior hero politicians we trust in. Nothing changes, it only gets worse. The world is in decline. The myth of evolution has been disproven by history. Something has gone terribly wrong. That's my thesis. Now, what I want you to know is that the problem is in this world. That means that the solution must come from another world. In addition to all the problems that we see, we are incapable and unable of diagnosing the problem of humanity and our own history personally, apart from understanding what I will call the problem behind the problem, or to say it another way, the war behind the wars. And so for you and I, we are going to spend some time over this course of eight weeks and we're going to open the word of God. There is no way to understand the world that God made unless we open the word that God wrote. In this eight weeks, you will use the word of God as a mirror to examine your own self. You will also use it as binoculars through which to interpret events that are going on in our world. And what I need you to know is that you are not just a physical being, that you are a spiritual being, that you have a soul. You were made for glory. You were made for good. You were made for God. And that ultimately you are not just a physical being. You are also a spiritual being. And those two components of your existence denote the two realms in which beings exist that serve and also oppose God. And so in this first sermon, I'm gonna lay some theological framework and foundation. And we'll start with God's families in Job chapter 38, verses four through seven. I want to introduce you to the supernatural worldview of the Bible and the spirit realm that is on the other side of the world that we live in. God here is speaking to a man named Job and he's speaking to members of his human family. So the word of God here is being spoken to this man, Job, in antiquity, and it is a word for the human family of God, and it's about the divine family of God, God's two families. He, God asked this question, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? I'll tell you what, evolution doesn't answer that question, God does. We can speculate about how the world began, but Revelation, according to the Bible, tells us that this is a world custom made for us by God. None of us were there, but God was there because God is eternal, God is good, God is preexistent, and all that exists comes from God and ultimately belongs to God. 
Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have any understanding who determines its measurements, who put together the blueprints. Surely you know, or who has stretched the line upon it, measuring for construction of creation on what were its bases sunk or who laid the cornerstone? When? Make note of this. The morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. There's two categories of divine beings there. He is speaking to those that are in the seen realm about the unseen realm. The whole context of Job is spiritual warfare, where if you're familiar with the story, his life craters, it's because Satan attacks him. What happens in the unseen realm affects the seen realm. These two worlds, they work together and these two um, realms for God form one reality. And he's talking to people who are part of his human family about what also happens in his divine family so that we understand that what's happening in the seen realm is connected to what happens in the unseen realm. And when it uses this language, the morning stars, that's ancient language for angels or angelic beings. In their understanding in the ancient world, there's the heavens and here we are on earth and what's between us? The stars. And so they would use this language of stars to refer to angels because they're between us and God and they are sent from God to us. And so this is the ancient language of angels. Most theologians agree. We'll talk about angels and then we'll talk about the sons of God. Um, when it comes to angels, very few of you have had much Bible teaching. Much of what you've gotten is garbage because what's the typical picture that we have or portrait in our mind's eye that we have of an angel? Chubby fat baby on a harp, playing a harp on a cloud with wings far too small to really transport them any significant distance. That was a picture off of the Sistine Chapel. It's a painting that has no basis in scripture or reality. It also leads to the myth that when a baby dies, they become an angel. All of this is just based on crummy Christian art. Uh, we can do better than crummy Christian art, amen? Jesus, junk and holy hardware. We can do better than that. We can go to the word of God. If you open the word of God, angels are spoken of about 300 times. 90, roughly 90% of the books of the Bible talk about angels. How many of you haven't really learned much about angels? tends to not be something that's emphasized, but it is emphasized in the word of God. Some will ask, how many angels are there? There's a lot, I don't know. Here are some scriptures. It says innumerable angels, a thousand thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. So if you wanna do the math, that's a lot of zeros. The point is there's a lot of angels. Their number seems to be fixed because Jesus says they don't marry and multiply as we do, though it is theoretically possible that God could today or in the future make more angels if he so desired. There are only two and possibly three angels named in the Bible. Gabriel and Michael are named as holy angels who serve the Lord. In addition, there may be a third. There's a debate in an Old Testament text, Isaiah 14, 12, where the New King James and the King James translations of the English Bible refer to someone named Lucifer. If that is in fact a personal name, then that would mean that in addition to the two holy angels that remained loyal to God, Gabriel and Michael, there was an unholy and fallen angel named Lucifer. 
Now, this may explain why Jesus says that a third of the angels fell in rebellion and became demons. It is possible that the two thirds that remained loyal was under the leadership of Michael and Gabriel, and that the third that fell followed their leader who is Lucifer. In addition, as we study the storyline of scripture, there are multiple categories of angels. There's the archangel, that's a military term, denoting rank and some sense of commanding. There, there are angels that are called commanders. Um, in addition, there are cherubim and seraphim. These are mag majestic, magnificent divine beings that like Isaiah sees. And, and also we sing about them every Christmas in the familiar Christmas carol. In addition, the Bible does talk about some people having a guardian angel. Some will then ask, well, do we all get a guardian angel? I don't know. It says that some people get a guardian angel. It doesn't say that all people get a guardian angel, but it doesn't say that they don't get a guardian angel. And so ultimately, if a spirit shows up in your life, my exhortation would be first John, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are in fact from God. In addition, Revelation, the opening few chapters, there are a series of seven messages that the Lord Jesus delivers to the seven churches and each one is addressed to the angel overseeing the church. In addition to human leadership, churches have angelic leadership. In addition to the staff that you see, there is a, a very hardworking staff that you don't see. And I don't know what the angel over the Trinity church is, but he's been doing, or she's been doing, or they've been doing, I don't think they're engendered, though they can appear in gender like a military soldier on a covert operation, but they've been doing a good job. Amen. They've been doing a good job. Now, in, in the book, Win Your War, you got a free copy on the way in. Um, Grace and I, my wife wrote it. We've been working on this for more than 20 years. Um, coming up this next year, I will have preached or taught through about half of the books of the Bible, verse by verse. I'm a Bible guy in my roots. I am a Bible guy to my core. This book has over 400 scripture references. One of those is in Hebrews 13 too, where it says regarding angels, some people have entertained angels unaware. You didn't know because angels don't draw all the attention to themselves as a general rule. They're trying to point you to the Lord. Now, that being said, we do say in the book that to the best of our experience, we have not been visited by an angel. We have had a lot more experience overtly with the demonic, which I'll get into, than we have with the angelic. That being said, I had an interesting recent occurrence. I, I don't know, but I think I got visited by an angel. I took a day of silence and solitude, prayer and fasting. I put it on my calendar. I felt months ago that the Lord laid it on my heart. Son, we need to meet. I need to talk to you. You need to be with me. Get your heart ready before the series starts and the book releases. So I put it on the calendar, told Grace, friends, told the men's ministry, please pray for me. I've got a meeting scheduled with the Lord. I drive out of town and uh, this was recent. And I went for a long walk and I ended up in a park. And I sat down and I'm praying and I'm journaling and just meeting with the Lord and thinking, and okay, Lord, thank you for this time together. Anything you wanna to say to me? There were some kids playing around me. Just a ways off, there was a little girl that had some seeming physical disabilities that were pretty severe and she was maybe junior high age. 
And she was just looking at me smiling. She had a, a very warm countenance, very welcoming countenance. And I thought, well, she's cute and sweet and seems like a nice girl. Well, then the kids that are playing around me left and then she slowly approached me. And she looked me in the eye the whole time. And she's smiling. She said, it's sure good to see you. I said, well, it's good to see you too. She said, uh, the Lord has sent me to deliver a message to you. Angel means messenger. I said, okay. She said, uh, God loves you. She said, he has good things planned for you. And many people are praying for you and you need to know that. I said, well, thank you. And she said, every day or daily, the Lord gives me a scripture to deliver. And today you are the person I am supposed to deliver it to. And this is the word from God. And she handed me a piece of paper with a scripture verse on it. In context, it was on the need for sound Bible teaching amongst demonic deception and spiritual battles. I looked at the verse quickly and I looked up and she was gone. I believe there's a lot more going on than we see. I would just encourage you not to assume that God is not work at work because you do not see all the work that he is doing. That ultimately when we're in the presence of God forever, we'll see the totality of God's finished work and there'll be great joy for us. In addition to these angels, the stars are the sons of God. Now these can't be the physical sons of God because this is when? Before God made the earth and people. That's the context. Before the earth existed and people existed, God had some what? God had some kids. He had a divine family. The father heart of God is so strong that God often refers to those in the unseen realm and the seen realm as members of his family. He loves you like a parent loves a child. These other divine beings, we don't know a lot about them. Angel seems to refer to a lower level minister, messenger on behalf of God. I call them God's mailman or mailman or male person. So we don't offend any of you because heaven forbid we do that. But, but the, the mail carrier, the mail carrier, the mail carrier is the one who delivers the mail. That's an angel. And then it seems like the sons of God are other divine beings that have higher ranks of authority, but they are categorized. So one of the things that we do is we refer to everything in the unseen realm as angels. Well, it's also the sons of God and other divine beings. They are called here the sons of God. They are also called the gods. Now, both categories of divine beings, meaning they are spiritual, not physical, though they can appear physically when they come on mission into the earth, that ultimately these beings, they do not occupy continually a human body as you do. They do have a, they are a spirit as you are body and spirit, but they are not body. In addition, they do not share the attributes of God. Created beings are not all powerful, all present, all knowing, eternal, and in ultimate authority. Those attributes are exclusively reserved for God. Now, when it comes to talking about angels, here's one of the first questions that people ask. Well, why did God make angels? Let me ask you, does God need angels? Does God need us? No, seems like if he got rid of both categories, he'd get a lot more time off, amen? 
We've been a lot of work for him. God has a family that he works through in the unseen realm. God has a family that he works through in the seen realm. And ultimately for God, this is one family that will be together in all eternity. Now here's the point. Why did God make angels? Why did God make people? Why does God work through angels? Why does God work through people? Not because he needs us, but because he loves us. You need to know this. God didn't make you because he needs you. God needs no one, God needs nothing. God made you because he loves you. And he is love, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinitarian God of the Bible, they are love and they produce life and love and relationship and family. That's what God produces. That being said, when we do ministry, it's, I'll, I'll use an analogy. When I was a little boy, my dad was a construction worker. So he'd wear steel-toed work boots, white t-shirt, you know, Levi's jeans, thermos, uh, lunchbox, tool belt, hard hat. That was my dad. And I was a little boy. And so I want to be like my dad. So guess what I got? I got little steel-toed work boots. I got little Levi's. I got a little white t-shirt. I got a little hard hat. I got a little lunchbox. I got a little thermos and I got a little tool belt. I don't know, may have had plastic tools. So that, that was me. And I kept asking my dad, dad, can I go to work with you? My dad's a drywaller, later he's a general contractor. How many of you know that, let's say I'm four years old. How many of you know that a four-year-old is not a real asset on a job site, amen? <laughs> not a real asset. Finally, my dad said, well, Marky, I've got a, a day coming up where I've got an off day and I'm doing a side job and on a Saturday or something, make extra money for the family, you can go with me. I was like, that's amazing. So I got up early, I jump in the truck, I'm going to work with my dad, I'm pounding nails, I'm, I'm hauling lumber, I'm four, I'm such an asset, I think. <laughs> my dad took me to work that day. Did my dad take me to work because he needed me or because he loved me? Because he loved me. My dad wanted me to see what he was doing and he wanted me to do it with him so we could build our relationship doing it together. That's ministry. Ministry is going to work with your father. It's going to work with your dad. And he doesn't bring you because he needs you. <laughs> he brings you because he loves you. The same is true for his divine beings and for his human beings. Let me go a little deeper into some things that are very rarely taught, but are clear in the scripture. In addition to God's two families, God has a divine counsel. Uh, some of this comes from a work of a uh, man, Dr. Michael Heiser. He was kind enough to write one of the three forewords to the book along with Jimmy Evans and R.T. Kendall. And, and he has some interesting insights on the scriptures, particularly this one. Psalm 82.1, God, and the Hebrew word, which it originally is written in, is Elohim, is Elohim. Now, one of the mistakes that Bible teachers have made is taking Elohim and making it a name for God, the one true God. And if you do say that this is the one true God has taken his place in the what? Divine council. You ever been at a business that had a staff meeting? You ever had an executive team, overseers, performance reviews, those who told others under their authority what to do? That's the divine council. This is where 
divine beings meet with God. Sometimes they observe him work, as we just read in Job at creation. Sometimes God gives them duties to execute upon. Uh, Sometimes God actually delegates decisions to them. It's like his staff. In the midst of the what? God's Elohim, same word, he holds judgment. Verses like this have been used by false teachers to teach that there are many gods. I did a debate with Deepak Chopper and others on Satan on ABC Nightline years ago. And this was a verse that he pulled up to say that we're all God and part of the Godhead and and we're all divine and there's lots of gods and we need to get over the myth of one true God. Elohim does not refer to a an attribute necessarily of God, but to any member of the unseen realm. This can include God and angels and fallen angels who are demons and other divine beings. So anyone who is a resident of the unseen realm is called an Elohim. Just like in our day, there'll be people of different ages, different races, different languages, different nations, but we're all part of the human family that ultimately we're all in the same category. That would be the concept behind the language for Elohim. And what it's talking about here is that God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. Those are other divine beings. This would be the sons of God, angelic beings and others. And from there, he holds judgment. Now, the divine council is referred to additionally through the scriptures as the assembly of the holy ones, the council of the holy ones, the hosts, the seat of the gods, the mount of assembly, the court in judgment, and the heavenly host. Occasionally, the divine council comes down to meet with God's human family. There's a guy named Jacob in the Old Testament and a ladder comes down from heaven and these beings come down and they meet with him and they look human, they lead him, they speak with him. And at the end, he realizes these were divine beings and he names that place Bethel, meaning the place of God, that that God sent the divine council to meet with me. Uh, additionally, in the opening chapter of Luke's, of, uh, of Luke's work uh, titled Acts, where we see the Holy Spirit descending, and then we see rushing wind and tongues of fire and all these supernatural things, that's the divine council showing up to commission the New Testament church. Now, this being said, there are times in the Bible where God peels back the curtain and he allows us to see the divine council meeting in the unseen realm. One place is Daniel. We're gonna start that book in January. It's gonna be 11 week case study, verse by verse on all of these principles. There are other occasions as well. It says in Isaiah six, he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, the train of his robe filled the temple. Divine beings were surrounding him, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. That's the divine council. You know, in the Bible, when the divine council has assembled, oftentimes when you hear the language of a throne, In the last sermon for this series, I'm gonna take you through the book of Revelation, the whole thing. And I believe the book of Revelation is about the seen and the unseen realm. It goes from earthly scenes of war and conflict 
and battle and demonic deception and evil and plague and death. And then it also gives us a glimpse into the divine council, the world behind the world, the ruler behind the rulers of this world. And it shows the throne and seated on the throne is God the Father and seated at his side is Jesus Christ. And surrounding the throne are angelic beings and human beings and other divine beings, God's family coming together in God's presence to sing God's praises together. That's the divine council. When we gather together and we worship, we are following the example of the divine council. We are assembling together to sing the praises of the God who made us all. Amen? That's why we're here. Now, this being said, something has gone terribly wrong. This world is broken. I jumped in the car today. I had somebody drive me to church and the first thing they said was, the world is, I don't even know this person. The world has lost its mind. That's where, that's where he starts. I sit down, I was like, well, good morning. <sighs> I said, what do you mean? He said, everybody's angry, everybody's upset, everybody's depressed, mass shootings, threats of terror, conflict all the time, political scandal and intrigue. He said, it's, it's crazy. It is. When God got done with this world, he said everything was good. So God's like, I'm done, it's good. Well, I'll tell you, something very bad has happened. Only, only the Bible-believing Christian understands the problem and the solution. I'll prove it to you. Revelation 12, seven through nine talks about a governance war in heaven. That ultimately there was a war before the wars. There was a battle before the battle. Revelation 12, seven through nine. Now war arose where? In heaven. Let me say this. I love you to my charismatic and Pentecostal friends. Whoop, whoop, good to have you. I love you. But hear me in this, what oftentimes happens is we tell people, be in God's presence, enjoy God's presence, all you need is God's presence. Where did war happen? In God's presence. Because you can be in the presence of God with a proud and hard heart. And it is not just the presence of God, but the condition of your heart that determines whether you will declare war on God or you will worship God. Now, war, I, I like the fact that the Bible's honest. It doesn't say uh, there were different perspectives or somebody held a, you know, your truth, my truth, you know. It's, it's, it's on a spectrum, you know, things and people. It says it's a war. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael, one of the two named angels and his angels fighting against the dragon. Isn't it crazy? Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, all the cultural narratives. Oh no, there's, there's a dragon and there's dragon slayers and, and there's evil doers and there's divine deliverers. Every guy and gal going to Comic-Con is looking for Jesus. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what I love here is it says, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was what? Defeated. God does not engage Satan and demons. They're not his peers. They're not his equals. 
sometimes false teaching about Satan, the demonic realm, it almost portrays Satan as one God and the real God is another God and it's this, no, no, no. It's the real God who rules over everyone and everything with all authority. The old Puritans used to say, yeah, he's a devil, but he's the Lord's devil. He's under God's sovereign authority. So God doesn't engage the demonic rebellion, the governance war in heaven, because that would be to pull them up as peers. So instead he just entrusts his divine staff to declare war and they do and they emerge victoriously and there's no longer any place for them in heaven. The story then continues. And the great dragon was what? Thrown down. Where? Where you live. Where you live. Where we live. It's here. It's crazy to me. People, we have mass shooters who are hearing voices. We have a presidential candidate talking about deep psychic forces that are destroying our nation. Yet nobody understands that this is a war that has come from heaven to earth. There's a war behind the wars. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels, Jesus says, this is a third of the heavenly host. This is now demons were thrown down with him. Everyone is born according to the storyline of the Bible amidst a governance war where demonic forces are trying to overthrow angelic forces, where Satan is trying to unseat God, convene the divine council and sit on the throne. Every human being is born into this war. This war didn't just start before you were born. This war started before we were made. That being said, Everyone who is born is born on what side of the war? The serpent's side of the war. The Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath. We are only by new nature children of God. That you are born as a citizen of Satan's kingdom and you are born again and then made a citizen of God's kingdom. That's why preaching the gospel, planting churches, supporting mission, it's all significant because the whole world is under the control of the evil one and only Jesus can set people free. Now this being said, your battles, big and small, are often part of a much greater war. Some of you feel like you're being attacked. Maybe you are. Somebody, some of you feel like there is a plot against you. Maybe there is. That all the battles that we face are part of this bigger war. So let me, let me go deeper into the teaching. I wanna give you a, a lens by which to interpret history in your own experience. Things happen, but how do we interpret them? That's, that's where 
People can have the same experience, come to different conclusions, unless we open the word of God and we have some enlightenment in our mind. I wanna talk about the four legs of a biblical worldview. If any of these is missing, it's like the chair you're sitting on. It becomes imbalanced and eventually it tips over. Principle number one, the unseen realm. Uh, classic verse, Ephesians 6, for we do not, any of you ever wrestled Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu? It's hand-to-hand, -hand, it's close, it's exhausting. That's what spiritual warfare is like. It's hand-to-hand, -hand, it's exhausting. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's the scene realm but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the unseen realm. There's a New Testament scholar named Clinton Arnold who's done the most significant work on all of these power language statements of Paul in the New Testament. And he comes to the conclusion, it's talking about the unseen realm, usually the demonic. In addition to the world we see, there's a world we don't see. And these worlds are not separated, they are connected. That what happens in the seen realm affects what happens in the unseen realm, and what happens in the unseen realm affects what happens in the seen realm. That's why if all we continue to do is treat physical problems and not spiritual needs, the war continues and people are bleeding and losing and dying. There is an unseen realm. Now, some of you are going to have an immediate suspicion or skepticism. I've got a master's degree basically in Bible. I have preached through books of the Bible for almost 25 years. I have read a lot of commentaries on a lot of scripture. And some people are scared of the supernatural. Some people are ashamed of the supernatural. In many seminaries, Bible colleges, uh, Satan exists and angels showed up at Jesus' birth moving right along. What happened in academia was a philosopher arose, his name was Hume, he was British. He wrote against the supernatural. It was in a time when people were believing that you can only trust what you see through a microscope or a telescope, that everything can be explained in physical realities, that anything that is supernatural is superstitious, that anything that is paranormal is primitive. What happens then is they come up with a scientific method, which I'm not opposed to. But the problem with the scientific method is this, we find a controlled environment where we test and retest something and we prove it over time to be a law. So water boiled at the same temperature yesterday as it does today as it will tomorrow. By definition, something supernatural only happens how many times? One. Can't be like, Jesus rose from death. Well, let's do it a few times, see if we can do it again. You can't, that's why it's exciting because God did it and it only happened once. By definition, something supernatural where, where God involves himself in this world, it is not able to be tested and retested through scientific method. And so what happens is with this sort of rationalism, we only believe what we can conceive, comes then, uh, 
a scientific method that leads to something called naturalism, that everything has a natural causation, nothing supernatural. Naturalism is opposed to supernaturalism. This leads ultimately to atheism. And if you come from a tradition, reformed, Bible-based, your pastor had to go through most likely a formal theological education and much of academia is dominated by naturalism, not supernaturalism. It focuses on the seen realm, it ignores the unseen realm. I'll give you two examples uh, briefly. When I was preaching through John's gospel here, a year or two ago, we went verse by verse. There's a story where Jesus walks on what? Water. And that guy named Peter looks at it and says, that seems fun. So he, he ste- he's doing, eh, oh, uh, not good. He, he loses faith, he starts to sink. I was reading probably the best-selling New Testament commentator of the last hundred years, William Barclay. And he says, well, you know, maybe Jesus was walking on the seashore in the shallow seashore. And from a distance, it gave the illusion he was walking on water. Hmm. So I looked up the other two occasions in the gospels where it records that event. And he says essentially the same thing. This is the naturalistic way of explaining away the supernatural. If you know the story, Peter's a what? He's a fisherman. I'll just tell you this about fishermen. They know the difference between the middle of the lake and the shore. Okay. 100% of fishermen know this. Number two, as he's walking, what happens to Peter? He's sinking, which you don't do on the seashore. You only do in the sea. Historically, Bible teachers, Bible scholars, predating much of naturalism, they believed in the supernatural. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, he spoke openly, repeatedly about the angelic and demonic. A whole book was written by a biographer of his, just looking at all the things that he says about the demonic realm. The story is told that Martin Luther's life was in danger. He was going to be killed. His battle was part of the big battle. And so he hid in a castle in Wartburg, Germany. And there he sat down to translate the Bible into the language of the people. Because the word of God is a sword. And if you're in a fight, you need a weapon. So people need the word of God, amen? And what happens is he says that Satan showed up to stop him. That he grew, you know, scared or sort of stunned. He grabbed an inkwell and he threw it at the devil. It exploded all over the wall. For years ensuing, tourists would come and they'd be told, this is where Satan showed up. That's where Martin Luther threw the inkwell. Eventually, the stain was removed and so was the story. Grace and I were there not long ago. They say, well, you know, myths like that and fables like that. And those were superstitious times. Some historians report that the ink stain was painted over. And if that's in fact true, that explains to me much of church history. Satan shows up, we're like, paint that over, paint that over, paint that over, read that verse fast, skip it. Some of you come with 
the skepticism of naturalism. Some of you come from Pentecostal and charismatic churches. How many of you, that's you. You're like, could we sing some more now? You've been yelling a long time. Um, okay. Do they talk about the supernatural, Satan, demons, God, angels, and Pentecostal and charismatic churches? Yes. And a lot of it's wrong. Like total craziness. So people either have little to no Bible teaching or lots of bad Bible teaching. My hope, my prayer, my goal in this eight weeks with you is to equip you to handle this sword so you can win your war. That's my goal. Now that being said, a couple of things. Number one, your personal relationship with God includes unseen persons. Number two, the Christian cannot assume that God is only at work in what we see. And number three, this gives us an opportunity to talk to non-Christians about the supernatural. Because have you noticed our world is really into vampires, UFOs, ancient aliens, superheroes. I mean, the average you know, millennial has no problem with the supernatural. I was watching the ancient alien show. I'm not sure what it was about because I was sober, but it was interesting. <laughs> And what happened recently, I don't know if you saw this news story, it said that the International Space Station was filming Earth and out of nowhere comes this triangular craft that just hovers in camera view and then disappears. And it became declassified. I don't think it was supposed to be. Nonetheless, all these theorists are saying, oh my gosh, that's evidence of what? alien life, but it defied the laws of our natural universe. Possibly, it's not a visit from another planet. Possibly, it's a visit from another realm. And part of deception to cause people to be chasing beings other than God who made us all. Number two, binary thinking. Binary thinking is biblical thinking. Um, some will ask Satan, demons, evil, evildoers, why did God make evil? God made everything good, that's what he told us. From the early church father Augustine to the present, theologians have generally agreed that evil is a privation. It's not a thing, it's a corruption of a thing that God creates Satan counterfeits. So blindness is the absence of sight. Metal can exist without rust, but rust cannot exist without metal. God is the creator, makes everything good. Satan counterfeits and corrupts it to do great evil. So let me say this, much of the spiritual battle is in your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world in its wisdom does not know God. And we need to think binary and biblically. So there is angels and demons. There's obedience and rebellion. 
There is truth, there are lies. Some people are spirit-filled, some people are demon-possessed. There is cleansing, there is defilement, humility and pride, forgiveness and bitterness, worship and idolatry, contentment and coveting, peace and fear, unity and division, shepherds and wolves, freedom and slavery, revivals and riots, the church and the world, the kingdom of God in heaven and the rule of God over hell. Not everything is good. Not everyone is good. You need to know that spiritual warfare is like gravity. What happens if I drop this? It falls. What if I don't believe in gravity and I drop this? Still falls. Because gravity exists whether I acknowledge it or not. And it affects my life. The unseen realm exists whether you accept it or not, and it affects all of your life. Now on this binary thinking, one of the great case studies is the book of Exodus. It's an amazing book. It records the longest period of supernatural activity in all of scripture. And God creates and Satan counterfeits. And so here God creates a kingdom and Satan sets up a counterfeit kingdom called Egypt. God, the father has a son. Well, in this counterfeit kingdom of Egypt, the Pharaoh who rules and reigns is worshiped as a God and he is called the son of God. He's the counterfeit Jesus. God has people who he wants free to worship. The counterfeit kingdom makes them slaves and damages their life. God wants them free. The counterfeit wants them enslaved. So God raises up a man named Moses and some other leaders and they go on his behalf. And what God does is he shows up with signs, wonders, and the supernatural. And all of that or much of that is counterfeited in Exodus by the pagan priests who are working by the power of demons. This explains why some religions have prophecy, healings, paranormal, supernatural, it's demonic deception. It's not what God created, it's what Satan counterfeited. Number three, group guilt. I won't read it all, it's in Genesis three. I wanna summarize one of the most famous stories in the history of the world. Genesis one and two, God made everything and it was good. Genesis three, everything goes very bad. Because in addition to God and people, who shows up? Satan does. Let me say this, Satan has already shown up in your life. And, and some of you, this will be a revolution, a revelation for you. This will be a deliverance moment for you you're so focused on you and God that you forgot that there is an enemy against you and God. So when things happen, God, why are you doing that? Maybe he's not. God, why are you saying that? Maybe he isn't. Don't overlook the existence of Satan in your life. He shows up and it starts simply with a conversation that he has with our first parents, 
husband and wife, Adam and Eve. He twists the word of God. He attacks the character of God. The Bible says in the New Testament that Eve was deceived. That was the governance war in heaven coming to the earth. A couple of things on Genesis 3, this case study. The governance war, the demonic governance war always attacks the head. So we read in Revelation 12, the attack was against who? God the Father. Here's Adam, he's the head of the human race, the attack comes to Adam. Later comes Jesus, the head of the new humanity, the attack comes to him. And then there's Peter, the head of the church, and the attack comes after him. Jesus says, Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. If you're a leader, you're going to be attacked. If you're the head of a company, a ministry, or a family, you will be attacked. I'll unpack that in particular on Wednesday night for the men. What does it mean to lovingly lead your family? Because my next point is, if a man does not lead his family, then Satan will. Genesis 3, it looks like Eve is leading, Adam isn't leading, ultimately Satan is leading the family. I know that's controversial, you're welcome. That's why we want men to love and lead like Jesus Christ and be good heads. The storyline of the Bible is wedding then war. Satan didn't even show up until they were married. Some of you are single, you're like, yeah, I'm under attack, I can't wait till get married. Ho, 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 you should get a cup and a helmet as a wedding present, put that on your registry. War is coming, war is coming. You like that one, that's good, okay. You can either make excuses on why you keep losing your war or you can make plans to win your war. I believe all of this happens at the place of the divine council meeting. Because Satan shows up, does Eve seem startled? Does she say, who are you? Where are you from? Why are you here? What's going on? It's very normal. I don't know about you ladies. If a dragon showed up to have a conversation, I would expect more than just, well, howdy. You know, I, I, <laughs> I believe that this, this place of Eden is not just a physical place. It's a realm that existed on the earth like the Holy of Holies did in the temple or as happened in the presence of Jesus' body on the earth. And it is where the two realms form one reality. It's where the human family and divine family meet together. That would explain to me why Eve is not shocked. Oh my gosh, what is this? She's used to encountering divine beings at the place of the divine council meeting. So it's not unusual for her. Furthermore, as soon as they sin, what is placed on duty with a flaming sword to guard the tree of life? A guardian cherub angel. That means there are divine beings there. They're already there. And what happens is blame shifting. There was an old uh, comedian called Flip Wilson. He had this skit, right? The devil made me do it. 
And so what happens sometimes when we talk about Satan and demons, we blame shift everything to them. This is not a new problem. God shows up to Adam, where are you? Question, who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve sinned first, Adam sinned second. God holds Adam firstly responsible because he is the head of his family. And then the woman and then Satan, because that is to be the order of dominion. God shows up, Adam, where are you? What have you done? What's Adam say? Blame shifts. Well, God, let's just look at the facts. We were doing great. This chick showed up. It's been crazy ever since. I feel like I married the wrong woman. <laughs> Every guy who said this, you're demonic. That's what I'm telling you. Not only that, God, who, who made her? You made her. I hope this is 1.0. I hope this is not the prototype. We got some bugs in the system. God, I forgive you. Make another woman. I'll be watching the game. You get back to me later. Tell me what you need. Okay. So then he goes to, God goes to Eve. What does she say? The serpent deceived me and I ate. The devil made me do it. She's charismatic. She's Pentecostal. <laughs> And then God shows up and he deals with Satan. So Adam, Eve, and Satan sin. Who's guilty? Everyone. That's the principle of group guilt. So even if somebody comes into the office and says like, I, I did X, Y, Z, the devil really got me. No, he didn't. He baited the hook, but you ate the bait. He's responsible for baiting the hook. You are responsible for biting the hook. And then what happens is this. God promises that a dragon slayer is coming in Genesis 3.15. It's called the Proto-Evangelion, it means first gospel. And what he says is this, this governance war that I've won in heaven, this is my summary, Adam, Eve, you've now lost on the earth. You didn't do what the angels did and fight till victory. Rather than surrendering to me, you've surrendered to them you have now joined them in their governance war against me, but I'm sending Jesus as a dragon slayer. That the problem is in this world and the hope for this world is not from this world, but enters into this world. His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes to defeat the dragon and to forgive sinners. And what I love, let me ask you this. Is it Jesus' fault that we sinned? Did Jesus make it his responsibility? Yes, that's what it means to be the head. Men write that down. To be the head means even if it's not your fault, you make it your responsibility. God looked down, it wasn't his fault, but he's making it his responsibility by sending his son. Now, Satan and demons they have no possibility of salvation from Jesus. That Jesus didn't come in the image of a divine being or a demonic being, he came as a human being. And he lived and died and you and I are given, we are given an opportunity 
that Satan and demons never have, and that is to have our sins forgiven and to have our reconciliation with God occur, to be transferred from the domain of darkness to the domain of light, to go from slavery to freedom, to go from Satan to God. So you need Jesus. Say, for sure? Oh, for sure, for sure. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Principle number four, heaven down or hell up. So there's this war and there are these little battles every day that you and I are a part of. And as we're in our little battles, we need to know that they're part of this big war and the decisions you make will either invite heaven down into your life or pull hell up into your life. Jesus says, he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's living heaven down. I'm so sick of all the political rancor. Oh, let's go to the right, let's go to the left, let's be progressive and go forward, let's be traditional and go backward, let's be worshipers and go upward. We need help for this world and it's not to be found in this world. We need heaven to come down, we need the kingdom to come down, we need the Holy Spirit to come down, we need the power of God to come down. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things that are above. It's amazing. We all just are looking down at our phone instead of looking up to our hope. Not on things that are on the earth. James 3.15, Jesus' brother talks about, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. A lot of what posits is wisdom. I mean, we live in a country where the number one category of medication is antidepressants, everybody's angry and anxious, self-medicating, watching horror films and marching in pride parades. Wisdom, that's demonic. Wisdom, that's demonic. All cultures eventually come to an end that the culture we live in is not neutral. The decisions you make in your daily battles, they are not neutral. If you forgive, you're inviting heaven down. If you become bitter, you're pulling heaven up. If you choose pride, you're inviting heaven down. Uh, You're inviting hell up rather. If you choose humility, you're inviting heaven down. These are all the themes of the book. It's intensely practical. Oftentimes we think of the demonic in terms of the overt and obvious. Sometimes it is in the covert and hiding in plain sight. Give you a story. Remember Osama bin Laden? Mastermind of terrorism. Number one on America's hit list. Number one fugitive. We went searching for him. The greatest military force in the history of the world. It took us almost 10 years to find him. I don't know if you remember the reports. He's probably hiding in a cave in Afghanistan. Where was he? He was in a house in Pakistan. He was a few miles from a military training academy. He lived in a house with his wife and kids, ate groceries, took the garbage out, hid in plain sight for almost a decade. Why do I tell you that? Oftentimes, those who are working with Satan follow follow his game plan for war. I believe that the satanic and the demonic 
has been hiding in plain sight. Just see who knocks on your door at the end of the month. Witches, ghosts, goblins, devils, moms dressed up like naughty nurses, unspiritual. Not saying don't celebrate Halloween. I'm not saying celebrate Halloween. I'm saying either way, don't dress up like the enemy and treat it as light and sport. Civility is dead. The leading cause of death is abortion. Mass shooters are hearing voices. Satan is hiding in plain sight. Stop watching television for a few days. Stop surfing the internet for a few days. Stop checking social media for a few days. Let God cleanse your soul and then take another look and tell me what you see. What you call culture, God calls a counterfeit. Well, this has not been very encouraging, has it? Is there any hope? Yes. Yes. Not only did Satan come down, so did Jesus Christ. And he came as the dragon slayer. And I'm gonna close with one scripture for you. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you... You and you and you and you were dead in your trespasses on the enemy side of the battle and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You're you're rebellious, you're stubborn, you're proud, you're self-righteous. Well, where's the hope if that's who we are? Here it is. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed. You fight a toothless dragon. You fight a toothless dragon. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus defeats Satan. Love overcomes hate. Forgiveness is what guilty people need. Not only did Satan come down, Jesus came down. And he came down not to declare war on you, but to declare war for you. He endured demonic attack. He endured scandal. He endured the demon-possessed Judas Iscariot. He went to the cross and he took your place. All the sin that was against you was nailed to the body of Jesus. You are totally, fully, freely, eternally forgiven and empowered if you belong to Christ. I'm gonna bring the band up. In a few weeks, I'll tell you that the Bible says in the end, this is the destiny for all of God's human children. That you are made a little lower than the angels, but you will judge the angels. Jesus promises not only will he sit on a throne in the divine council, that we too will sit on thrones with him, ruling and reigning as God intended. We're gonna worship Jesus now, amen? Okay, who wants forgiveness? Who wants deliverance? Who wants help? Who wants hope? Who wants healing? Y'all, we all need God. We're gonna invite 
God's kingdom and presence to come down. We're gonna partake of communion, remembering the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And right now in the divine council, departed saints and angelic and other divine beings, they're worshiping God. I say we should join them. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to teach your word. Please use it to set captives free, free from lies, free from condemnation, free from guilt, free from fear, free from sin, and free to Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.